Hey everyone, this week's episode is near and dear to my heart. My wife, Jen Gutzmer, joins me as well as our good friend, Nina Mika, as we discuss 1994's family sports comedy, The Little Giants. I feel like this is one of those movies everyone has seen and it's right in line with football season. Before we kick off the episode, I want to shine our local business spotlight on 13 Verse Comics. Located in the shops on West Ridge at 3200 West Ridge Road, 13 Verse Comics is a great one-stop shop for everything from figures, new releases, comic boxes, and back issues. Owner Mike Olenbeck is amazingly helpful with your questions and will even take the time to look things up that he might not know off the top of his head. 13 Verse Comics, support local. And now, on with the show. Okay, so uh, we we ended up settling with Little Giants. Uh, Nina, you want to talk a little bit about what made you want to pick this movie and, and how we ultimately settled on it? Um, I won't lie. I was kind of thinking of my own childhood and the ice box kind of reminded me of myself and I've always had an <laughs> attachment to this movie because of her. So that's what made me decide to definitely go towards this movie. Do you remember seeing it when you were a kid? I don't remember the actual movie that much when I was a kid, but I remember my cousin Ricky grew up loving the team, the Giants. And all his hand-me-down clothes were Giants clothes. And I used to wear them. And I was like, well, let me learn about the Giants. And I thought this movie was the actual team. <laughs> and that's what got me into it. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's as far as I remember about that. I don't know if I should call you Hun or Jen during this podcast. Weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jen, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your experience with the movie? And had you seen it before this? Well, Bobby... I haven't had any experience with this movie, really. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. So this is the first time I've sat and watched from beginning to end. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. So yeah. Little Giants comes out October 14th, uh, 1994. Wow. And, yeah. Long time ago. <laughs> we are old. <laughs> the, the movie's a 106-minute runtime. So that's a little over an hour and a half. Yeah, what, hour 45 minutes or so? Um, twenty million dollar budget. It only makes nineteen point three at the box office. So oh, no. it's actually a failure by most accounts in Hollywood now. Um, because typically when it comes to a movie, you want to earn twice as much as the budget in order for it to be really successful to to hit a break even, which is what you'd kind of consider this a, a break even. Um, it's considered a failure when it comes to a movie, but the movie goes on to become critically acclaimed. Um, at least by audiences, and ultimately has a has a pretty strong cult following now, mainly because of star Rick Moranis and um, his kind of cult following over the over the, the years. I'm actually really surprised to hear that that only made 19.3. I'm 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 dumbfounded. I didn't know that, and I I feel like it's more popular today than when it first came out. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, probably. Like I said, the the movie. It's one of those movies I think everybody looks back on fondly when it comes to their childhood. You know, you have this yeah. and, and and Goonies and some of the other um, kind of breakfasty club type movies with you know following the little kids through their trials and tribulations. 
Oh, it's, it's disappointing. I won't lie. I'm a little sad about it. I feel like if it were to come out now, that it would have done much, much better. So the, the movie follows uh, Danny O'Shea and his brother Kevin O'Shea, the O'Shea brothers. Uh, it, it opening scene is them as little kids. They're strolling down the road on the way to some sort of uh, neighborhood football game. And you can clearly sh- see the difference in physique uh, and, and probably skill level when it comes to the brothers. Kevin is uh, the older brother who's the all-star quarterback. Yep. And Danny is the little nerdy uh, kid who just isn't picked for the team. I'm literally in the opening scene. Oh. But Kevin goes on to win a couple championships in high school. Um, he becomes All-American uh, player during during that reign. Goes on to college to win the Heisman Trophy. And eventually um, leaves football. But the, the movie doesn't really explore as to why he leaves football. You presume some sort of injury. They don't go into any sort of NFL career. So... You know, for all intent and purposes, he's not a an all star player. He's not, you know, no NFL impact. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not, you know, a big time professional football player. But he is big enough um, for this local town that he's got everything named after him. I mean, his name's on the water tower. He does have his own car dealership, which is like I, I was telling my wife while we were watching it, probably the only car dealership in town. He's got like a burger named after him at the local diner and, and like little things like that. He, he is the all all town hero. His brother, Danny, coincidentally enough, owns a garage, which I thought was an interesting thing that the writers did with the quote unquote better brother owning the new car dealership and Danny fixing old cars. It's kind of a play there. I, I thought the the very beginning kind of set the tone for the whole movie because in the opening scene where they were kids and you were talking about how they were walking down to the little football game, I remember Kevin was telling Danny, don't worry, we're going to own this town one day. But then the very next scene, five seconds later, they show that water tower and Danny's name is not on it. It's just Kevin. So you knew right then and there them brothers didn't really <laughs> stay connected the way they should have the whole time. So I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> the The next scene, which is great, because they jump right into the, the basis of the plot. And it's, you know, uh, Dan, or Kevin is is the coach for the local peewee football team. He's holding tryouts. And you see a couple kids um, of varying skill level go through these tryouts. And then Danny gives this, or excuse me, Kevin gives this speech about how he's so awesome and how it's tough for him to decide. And ultimately, uh, he picks the players for his team. And there's four or five uh, players that are not picked. I'm pretty heartbroken. And among them is his niece, Danny's daughter, Icebox, uh, who her actual name is Becky. Yeah, so she is the tomboy. Um, she is the Nina, if you will. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and and by all accounts, the people there watching the practice, she's really good. Yeah, she was she was really good. Other people like her her aunt was saying that she was, you know, one of the best ones out there, but just because she was a girl, it was a problem. Yeah, yeah. Kevin even said that she was one of the best. Yeah, so she's she's not picked for the team and is pretty heartbroken over it. Um 
then she she goes back to the hangout spot, which is her father's uh, garage business, and where there's a couple other kids hanging out, and some of the kids who were picked are there, and they're causing trouble. <laughs> so so Becky hops in her little four wheeler uh, off road vehicle and chases them on their bikes. Yeah, go kart, and chases them on their bikes through the woods, <laughs> knocks them into the the water and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> She then gives this line kind of off the top of her head that, you know what? We don't need your football team. Uh, we started our own. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, who's going to coach it? And she's like, oh, my dad's going to coach it. And you, you get this sense that this is completely off the top of her head. She's just doing this to kind of cause ruckus um, against the other boys and say, you know, we don't need you. Well, this, again, being a small town, this kind of spreads. A um, couple old guys in the local diner get, get wind of it and um, tell – Kevin, like, did you know your brother is is doing this? And there's a great scene where the Kevin is talking to the old guys in a booth. Danny has just walked in to order coffee or whatever. And his daughter, seeing that this is going to unfold very quickly, <laughs> runs up and tells her dad, you know, oh, real quick, by the way, uh, we're starting our own football team. Really need you to coach it. If you could just do the things, we'd be great and runs out. And then that's when her uncle, Kevin, walks up and says, you know, you, you're trying to make me a fool. Like, you're trying to, you know. Uh, run me out of town or, or something like that. Kevin uh, then tells Danny that, listen, you can do anything with the kids, not football, anything else, not football. And Danny kind of takes this personally. Like, why, why aren't, why aren't I good enough to do football? Why aren't these kids good enough to do football? You know what? We're doing football. Kevin says, you can't one town, one team. Says, All right. Well, the old guys chime in with let's, let's do playoffs then give them two weeks to get this team into shape. And then they're going to play off against each other to see what team should be the team for the town. So I was a little torn at that spot. Why is that? I, I was kind of in agreement with Kevin. <laughs> not every kid is not what? good at everything. The the niece clearly was good. So her specifically, she was only cut because she was a girl. So that whole part is unacceptable. But just because they want to play doesn't mean they're good at it. I mean, not every kid makes every team for everything. That's just not how it works. So I, I kind of agreed with him for that quick second that they, they're good. They do good things in other areas. They're very smart. They are, they're very creative. They do other things. He complimented them in other areas. Mm -hmm. They just aren't good football players. I think he complimented them in a obligatory and I'm still going to put you down way. And I think that's what kind of made Danny more, um, you know what? I really wasn't going to coach this team, but now I feel like coaching this team. And that's what, that's my, one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite scenes when he finally stands up and shoves it to the brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he tells the brother basically, listen, I've been following you my whole life because the brother's got this catchphrase. Like I knew you'd see it my way. Yeah. And Danny's like, you know, I don't see it your way. I've been seeing it your way my whole life. I'm tired of it. You're going to do this my way now. Yeah. So they they now have to struggle because there's only like four kids that didn't make the team. So they now have to struggle to go around town and try to pick up these other kids to fulfill the full the full team. Uh, there's a great scene where he's he's encounters a kid outside the, the grocery mart who's on this mechanical horse. And he tells the kid, you like football? It's like, no. You ever played football? No. Do you want to play football? No. Good. You'll be on our team. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> and he, he approaches another kid who is relatively nerdy he's got the, the stereotypical glasses the plaid shirt he's he's playing on a computer 
um, you know, because you have to point out in the 90s how nerdy somebody is by the use of glasses. Um, and he says, you know, I could use you on my coaching team. I need you to come up with some sophisticated plays and, and make it real interesting. Use your imagination. The kid's like, I'm totally in. Let's do this. So they also come across another kid. Wait, wait a minute. Why wasn't that kid good enough to play on the team? The, he, he doesn't want to play. He makes it very clear. Yeah. I don't want to play football. Have, the the kid in the store didn't want to play either. <laughs> very true. I mean, who knows? Didn't have a, him, no problem. He a, showed athletic ability by bucking on this spring course <laughs> for 20 minutes of a conversation he showed a little bit of athleticism <laughs> there's a lot of scenes in this movie and that's one of the things i love about these 90 movies is that there's a lot of scenes that you cannot you can't dig into you can't scratch the surface because they just <laughs> fall apart but at face value they're hilarious and they play into the the movie um i did make a couple notes one of the things that we went we skipped over that i want to address there's a great opening montage when they do the credits in the beginning where you have these X's and O's and they're playing football against each other and all these plays and stuff. And uh, they turn into, you know, the producer and the, the star and, and so on and so forth. You don't get that anymore nowadays in movies. There's there's very few opening credit scenes. It reminded me a lot of another Rick Moranis movie, the uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, that has just a classic opening like cartoon scene where the names are showing up as these, you know, people are shrunk down and the fly swatters chasing them. And I very distinctly remember that because it was like a mini cartoon before the movie. Um, and this is another kind of hint on that as well. There's also a great scene when they're doing the tryouts that one of the kids who is, again, the very stereotypical heavy set youngster who wants to play, but just can't run very fast or whatever. He gets tackled and, there's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in his helmet, because why wouldn't there be? The jelly squirts on his forehead, and it makes it look like he has an injury. But the coach comes over to check to see if he's okay and discovers he's using his helmet as a uh, lunchbox. But the best part of that seat is that there's Cheetos in there, and he pulls the Cheetos. His assistant coach pulls the Cheetos out, and he's like, uh, it's a bag of Cheetos. And Kevin, or, yeah, uh, Kevin goes, Cheetos, crunchy or puff? The guy says, puff. He's like, wimp. Like, yeah, I remember that part. The type of Cheetos you have determines whether or not you're a wimp. Um, and also, uh, my wife pointed out that Becky, during the scene, is wearing a baseball jersey during the football practice. Yeah, and she the wears the baseball jersey. She wears it most of the of the beginning part of the movie. And I think the reason for that is to play into the tomboy. She plays lots of sports. She's interested in a lot of these guy type things. Um, she also, also does matching clothing. Yes. None of it, none of it. You also have to remember that uh, throughout the movie, there's a part where they do mention that the mom left her. They left, the, she left the family. Right. So she hasn't had the mother figure other than the, than Kevin's wife, the aunt. So yeah. she probably just tried to do anything to bond with her dad. Yeah. I mean, very true. There, there's a scene later on where the, the daughter actually calls the father out. And says, you know, if mom was here, she used to call me her little princess and and said yeah. to you on the on the tailback, you know. Um, little fullback. They get a little fullback. There you go. Um <laughs> so and there's so there's a there's a side story going on as they're recruiting the players for the team, they come across a player in the grocery store who is very Devin good Devin Sawa. <laughs> so uh, my wife immediately perked up seeing him. <laughs> what is let's? I, I want to hear more about why uh, Devin Sawa 
is such an icon for you guys. I'll let Jen take that because he is not. I was a spike girl, but go ahead, Jen. I don't. I, he just. He's Devin Sawa, and Gross. that's it. I mean, there's not much more I can say. Gross. I, he only now and then is just the best movie because they get naked. <laughs> <laughs> so Little Giants is actually his first movie. He was in a couple TV series prior to that. Um, he was in a TV movie, which I don't really count. Um, but Wait, he le- wasn't he cat. He was in Casper. Yeah. Wasn't that was yes. after Little Giants? Casper yeah. is the next movie he's in the following year. Yeah, I thought that um, was first. And he plays Casper, but he's only on screen for about four minutes, if that. Yeah. Um, but he does does go on to play in Now and Then in '95, which is the year after. He does The Boys Club. Um, he's got obviously the very famous uh, Wild America with jo- Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, he goes on to do Idle Hands in '99, which is kind of when he gets this grungy type punk feel to him. Uh, Final Destination afterwards in 2000, and then he plays um, Stan in Eminem's music video, which is uh, probably where most people remember him in this day and age. I did not like him in that video. He looks like a true drug addict, dirty, mm-hmm. nasty. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, he's still in movies and TV shows, um, although he hasn't really been in anything large in quite a long time. Uh, the Exorcism of Molly Hartley, I think. I was never a, saw it. Yeah, that was at least a, a, a movie that went to theaters. Um, but anyway, so he plays Junior. He is a great throwing arm. He's throwing toilet paper into a grocery cart in the middle of the store, because why not? And uh, Becky sees this, Icebox sees him, and immediately falls in love. They ended up getting him on the team, but this spurs a side story that takes place where um, Kevin O'Shea, played by Ed O'Neill, his daughter wants to take part in the football somehow and decides that they're going to do cheerleading. And his daughter plays kind of the flirtatious counter to Becky. She is the cheerleader, the blonde, um, and Becky thinks that that's what Junior wants. She, she, he, there's no way he could find somebody like me. He could be into somebody like me because I'm a tomboy. Uh, he wants the the cute cheerleader. So there's a whole side story that takes place during the movie based on that. But for the most part, the bulk of this movie is just these different cutscenes of the boys practicing and trying to become football players. They have this awesome scene where they're doing the monkey bars, and one by one they fall to the ground. And for again, can't scratch the surface. Because for some odd reason, none of the boys move. Yeah, even what though the they, hell? <laughs> they fall on top of each other, progressively making a taller and taller pile um, until the, the big boy comes on and, and he slips and falls. And they have this whole you know comic scene where he falls on top of the kids. And um, the nerd who is helping them coach keeps referencing this super secret play he's got called The Annex- Annexation of Puerto Rico. I don't know. What do you what do you guys think about this whole montage of the little peewee players trying to become better? I think it's just their attempt to show that there's really only two good players and the other kids are just getting dragged along, kind of. They they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they don't have enough time to get uh really good, I guess. Two weeks is not, two weeks is not substantial. A lot of time. But I, I think for 
the two or three that really wanted to play and made a big deal of the actual sport. The rest of them, it was just, you know, I want to be part of something, the camaraderie, the having friends and not just being the fat kid with a jelly sandwich in his helmet or the geek running plays. I want to, I want to be a part of something. So I think that's what got them into, yeah, we'll stick it through. Yeah, I mean, the kids show improvement during this, but the bulk of the heavy lifting, you can tell, is going to be done by Junior and Becky. Um, she's obviously one of the you know, best players on the team, so is Junior. He's got a great arm. But oh. you have, like, uh, the wide receiver um, can't catch. Uh, he can catch toilet paper, but he can't catch a football for some reason. Hot hands hanging. Yeah. And you 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 really feel for these misfits. I mean, it's the it's literally the classic story of the misfits versus the the, the, the Joe Schmoes, if you will, versus uh, Globo Jim. Um, it it kind of reminds me of the movie The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. when the prison guards, the elite awesome ones, are playing the you know convicts, the little giants, and I love it. It's just a an adult and child version of the same movie. I love it. It really is. It really is. So. Uh, in the middle of this montage, you had the two old guys at the diner um, calling each brother at the same time to tell them about a new kid that has just moved to town. Hey, wait. They're stirring up Did crap. You, you skipped the part where they're spying. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's a great scene. Go ahead. Oh, me. Yeah. So they, <laughs> for, for whatever reason, Kevin and his um, sidekick the way too aggressive side coach, whatever he is. Coach Butts. Coach. Co- coach Butts, who is in the movie a couple times up until this point. He is the assistant coach, and he is awful. He really, like, watching this movie again, I understand the whole point of putting him in. He, he provides a lot of comic relief. But he is, like, a grown man, super annoying, and super aggressively bullying these little kids for no reason whatsoever. It's <laughs> yeah, horrible. Yeah randomly all by himself to just be a jerk you must not have a happy home life (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's just obsessed with kevin for some reason he just i don't know but they decide to spy on the the little giants to see what what they're up to for whatever reason because clearly they were not worried about them but now all of a sudden they're worried about what they're doing and then the danny catches them doing that and calls the state police on them and gets them arrested. But the way he did it was awesome. Please, there's an old man. And he gets the little kid involved. Tell <laughs> me, I'm scared. <laughs> it's it's great. He gets him. He gets his brother arrested. And again, his brother's a big name in the town, so it winds up making like the headlines that you know uh, Kevin O'Shea's arrested. It's it's a pretty funny scene. Can you um, also just discuss why we had to have that whole scene about him tackling his niece? Like, none of that made sense to me. First of all, why do you have three of the kids on your football team in your living room to teach them how to tackle? (laughs) Why are you trying to get them to tackle your niece so aggressively? And third, why are you you running at full speed into this? That adrenaline. uh, Adrenaline took over at that part. I can completely, I can completely explain the scene. So... The mentality of the character, uh, Ed O'Neill, is I'm going to win by any means necessary. Right. He he clearly loves his niece. There's a great scene later where he gives his niece some solid advice. And even throughout the movie, despite the fact that these two brothers are kind of going at it, there's still some love between them. Um, you, you can clearly see that they still 
care about each other and that this isn't going to be the end of the relationship. However, Kevin is clearly wanting to win by any means necessary. And he's aware that Becky is their best player. Cause at this point he does not know about junior. And if we can, if we can eliminate, not eliminate Becky, but if we can neutralize her and I can show you guys how to properly tackle and take her down, then we stand a chance at winning this. So that's, I think why he's, he's giving this teaching lesson to the kids. But again, his ego and character development, trying to show that Kevin is all about himself. He's a legend in his own mind, if you will. He's got to show, well, let me show you how to properly tackle. Because only I, Kevin, can show you how to properly tackle. So he has this great scene where he attempts to show them by tackling the couch cushion that is being held up by his wife. And she obviously freaks out because she doesn't want to be tackled. And lets it go, and he goes, you know, running through the the living room window, which happens to be on the second floor, and lands uh, open legged on a tree branch. Very classic '90s, you know, ball joke. <laughs> yes, I remember. Then doesn't he say, "Oh, doctor"? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that part. Um, yeah. And then there's the scene, and the, the very next scene is them watching the video over and over again, laughing <laughs> as he's in pain putting ice on his crotch. Uh, it, it was great. I agree. That was probably one of my favorite parts because I can totally picture if something like that were to happen to anyone in my family, I would repeatedly watch it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the two old guys call the brothers. They tell them, listen, there's a new guy in town, a new family that just moved in. You're definitely going to want to go talk to this kid. He is a freak of nature when it comes to football. Um, the new star player is Spike Hammersmith. That <laughs> this was Nina's crush. You want to go into detail about why you uh, found him so attractive? Okay, uh, this still stands true to this day. If I is ever it because he only spoke in third person. No, I can't stand that part. If he just didn't talk, it would have been perfect. But I loved the opening part where they introduce him, and he's coming off this trailer with a refrigerator strapped to his back, and he's got this not cute now at the time, but a crop top on <laughs> and you can see his little abs and his shoulders and everything. And he sets it down. And I'm like that, that is so much better than Devin Sawa. <gasps> and that's when we stopped being friends. And that's when we stopped being friends. <laughs> Defet Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com, the only place to travel geekly. Focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. Defat Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with Defat Comics. So um, both brothers immediately hop in their vehicles and decide to go to this kid's house and try to um, recruit this kid. And now they don't know the other brother has this information, which is great. So so Kevin is in his Corvette, pulls up to a red light. His brother Danny, who's in his daughter's uh, little moped go-kart okay. thing, pulls up to the same red light. And they have this kind of like, oh, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm just off for a ride. And they pull up to the next red light together. And it's, what, are you following me? No. Are you following me? No. Then they continue in the same direction until finally Kevin's like, he's mine, Danny. He's mine. And they they start taking off. They're racing through the streets. And the best part about this 
is the two old guys outside the diner who signal to each other, oh, here they come, here they come, as if they've set this whole thing up just to watch them drag race down Main Street. That's exactly what they did. Those yeah. old men didn't get old by being stupid. They're smart, they're <laughs> conniving, and I love it. It's like the male version of the Golden Girls. It was great. <laughs> so um, a train ends up stopping Kevin because he's in a Corvette, but Danny's little go-kart manages to get under uh, the train um, stopping thing. Um. Arm, yeah. And he makes it to the house first. Uh, he also... Apparently, at that point, Kevin gives up and turns around because Kevin no, never shows up to the house. But again, we don't scratch the surface. It is what it is. Yeah, but where did he go? <laughs> Maybe Danny it was a long train. <laughs> <laughs> Danny shows up, meets the father. The father immediately asks him, are you Coach O'Shea? And of course, he is. He is Coach Danny O'Shea and tells him yes. And, and they have this awkward, like, he looks look smaller in person. Um, but he proceeds to tell him about his son, Spike, and how he has groomed this kid since birth to be a football player. First skin he ever touched was a pigskin. He uh, massages his his hamstrings with oil every night or something along those lines. Milk. I think it was milk. <laughs> I would do it. That's right. It was milk. Um, it's, it's great. So Spike shows up to practice uh, with the Misfits and immediately is taken back by the fact that they have a girl on their team. And that's when he utters a legendary line. Didn't you hear? Spike don't play with girls. <laughs> um, so it starts this rivalry between Spike and the Icebox, which I thought was great because they're like the only two characters in the whole movie that have nicknames, which is awesome. No, no they, they, they all got them. They all... Because when they did the jerseys yeah. in the living room, when yeah. Danny was handing out, he they all had their nicknames. That's but true. You had Red Tad. And I take that back because I don't think Spike's actually a nickname. I think this is actual name it as is. a character, which is weird. But anyway, so um, during this practice, Spike is not having a good time because he's playing with a bunch of people who can't play football. And then his dad pulls in um, in the Corvette passenger seat because Kevin is driving and luckily pulls uh, Spike out of this peewee hell, as he refers to it. And then the father proceeds to trash talk Danny for, again, no reason whatsoever, and tells him that can't wait until tomorrow when he gets crushed. So now we're leading up to the big uh, plot peak, if you will, which is game day. <laughs> At this point, this battle between the brothers has become a... a total town-wide sensation the mayor is there they have a marching band there's new paint on the field the bleachers are full it's it's pretty impressive and they get to the 50 yard line to do the coin toss and the brothers start bickering again and decide to put up their businesses against each other so the winner takes both takes all takes both businesses that's a that's a big gamble right there that is a big gamble game and I mean, this has been this trope has been done a million times. And I think there are still movies, in my opinion, that can pull it off. Legendary movies such as Little Giants, where you have the underdog completely get stomped in the first half. They score no points. Uh, the Cowboys, which, again, it's a play on America's team from the 90s. Uh, which, I mean, it's, it's not America's team. So if you're a Cowboys fan, you should probably stop being a Cowboys fan. Um, well, there's also there's also a great scene, which we skipped over, right before game day. Again, 
very typical trope. The misfits are ready to give up. They just can't. There's no way we're going to win this. And a bus full of NFL players shows up and gives them the motivation they need. So it's led by John Madden. Um, you have Emmett Smith, Bruce Smith, Tim Bruce Brown. Smith matters. I'm sorry. Bruce Smith is the one that matters. Well, Emmett Smith is probably the the, the biggest name no, um, no. on the bus. No. Bruce Bruce Smith, who's from the the Bills. No. Uh, Tim Brown and Steve Emptman. 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 I'm going to butcher that. Mikey's going to yell at me for that. But um, either way, big football players show up and they teach the kids how to play in you know less than three hours because, you know, why not? So fast forward to the next day. The kids get stomped the first half. It's 21 to nothing. Cowboys are leading. They go back to the locker room and they have this, you know, space jam scene where we just we need the motivation. What are we going to do? I don't know how to how to win this. And and Rick Moranis gives this pretty decent speech where he he basically says, you know, I Kevin wasn't the best at everything. I beat him one time and he describes this race they had. And, and for whatever reason, you know, Danny won and all of them start picking up on this and kind of going through like, yeah, I, I, I beat my brother one time and I, you know, I beat, you know, my cousins one time or whatever. All it takes is one time. And that's kind of the ongoing mantra. They run back out of the locker room and the very next play, which is their play, they get, they gain a yard. And the crowd goes apeshit. We got a yard. We finally got a yard in the second half. That leads to a long pass down the field, which leads to a touchdown. And before you know it, they're back in this. The the game's ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kevin's Kevin's wife is cheering for the little giants, which is funny. Um, there's a couple different scenes where she starts she's caught cheering and Kevin kind of glares at her and she you know, puts her hands down or whatever. Well, the thing she, that made them not uh, feel like they weren't gonna be able to do it was because Becky wasn't there. And then, right. Right. So they all were, without her, we can't do it. We can't do it. Yeah, so we missed that whole... Yeah, so why is she not there? Because she was trying to get pretty as a cheerleader instead of a football player. And she came into the locker room and said, you know, I just wanted to cheer you guys on. You know, good luck. Hope you guys do good. And then leaves. Because you could just tell she's just sheer embarrassed because she's totally out of her comfort zone trying to be something she's not. Um, and uh, I I love the part where, you know, they, they tried to go on without her. And then she just, she got that damn itch and, and had, to, <laughs> had to get that helmet on. <laughs> yeah, so she, she decides she's going to be a cheerleader because she wants to impress Junior. Um, and I, this is where she has that conversation the night before the game with her dad. Her dad calls her his, his little tailback, oh. little fullback. And she replies with, you know, if mom used to call me a princess and yada, yada, yada. And and you, it's a great scene because typically in a scene like this, you feel bad for one of the characters. You know, the you, you find out the daughter's right and the father's an awful father or, you know, the father's just trying and the, the girl's stuck up. But I feel like in this scene, you really feel for both of them. You feel that, you know, Rick Moranis as a dad has done his best and probably raised his daughter a little more boyish than than she wanted to be. But I mean, it's all he had. And he really, I mean, he's doing all of this for her. Um, so you get the sense that he really is a good father and he's tried his hardest, but you also get the sense from her standpoint that, yeah, you tried your hardest, but I'm, I'm now different because of that. And because I didn't have a mom and I wasn't raised as the princess that, that I could have been. Um, so I thought it was a pretty emotionally packed scene. She decides to be the cheerleader. 
and and is cheering for the first half of the game. She's actually cheering for um, some of the second half as well. It's not till they really start winning. And I think Spike has this big play that sends her over the edge and she throws on the pom-poms, puts on the football uniform over her cheerleading outfit because <laughs> you have to have this scene where she's got the pads on and the cheerleading skirt. Uh, it's, it, again, very typical yep. scene movies like this. She's a freaking warrior, man. I love it. She comes out. The The game is tied 21-21. Um, the Giants make a goal line stand uh, when Becky stops Spike. She has this ultimate stop. He's on the one-yard line. Um, but she stops him. And with there's time remaining for one final play, which, of course, is going to be the annexation of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um so this is actually inspired by an actual play called the Fumble Ruski, where uh, essentially you just leave the ball on the ground and you fake kind of a handoff and um, and you pick the ball up and, and go for it. So they're going to run the annexation of Puerto Rico. Um, so this was a play that was around prior to the movie, although the movie kind of puts a name on it and really makes it famous. Uh, it is a play that happened after that as well. Um, the Carolina Panthers actually ran this exact play in 2011 against the Houston Texans, um, which was pretty interesting because it is a legal play. And I thought that was that was great. The movie plays on that and keeps it realistic. You well, said it's a legal play? Yes, it's a legal play that you can actually run. Was it successful? Um, I, I don't know. Probably. I would assume so. Because I, I feel mean, like it wouldn't be yeah, now. <laughs> I feel like leaving the ball unattended is not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it essentially counts as a fumble. That's why it's referred to as a fumble ruski, because when you put the ball on the ground and walk, I mean, it's a fumble. Anybody could pick it up and run with it. Um, but if you're able to disguise it well enough and your team's one that picks it up and goes, then it's it's legal. So the, yeah. the, pl- the play is successful. The team goes on to win. And they have this great final scene where the brothers are talking like you're not you're not really gonna hold me to that, are you? Like giving up my car dealership, and uh, Danny agrees. Rather than give up the car dealership, I'd like something else in return. And they show the water tower that originally said "Home of Kevin O'Shea," and it transitions into "Home of the O'Shea Brothers," um, and that is a call back to the opening scene, which I thought was a cool little, you know, final cap at the end. One hundred percent. That was the best intro to the movie and the best exit. I loved it. So it's that easy to just change things in the town. (laughs) It only took 25, 30 years to get his name on there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, So Jen, this is the first time you saw the movie all the way through. What did you think? I thought it was a pretty stereotypical nineties movie, but I, it was cute. It was very up and down. Like I said, at first I was like, well, Kevin's kind of right. So you're awful. I just, well, I'm not <laughs> just it's for real. Some of the scenes were like, why did you, why did you do that? Like that, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, <laughs> but it's, it was good overall. It was so the, the director who is Dwayne Dunham, um, this is really the only movie he's directed. Um, he does Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey prior to this. Oh, is, great movie. Yeah, so that's that's another movie he directed. He goes on to do a ton of TV and TV movies, um, but there's really no other like movie movies that he's credited with. 
um, which you don't really see nowadays. Ed O'Neill, who obviously plays Kevin, huge movie star now. Um, Little Giants is right in the middle, towards the end of his Married with Children run, which wraps up in 97. Uh, he'll go on to do a couple movies here and there, but doesn't have a really big breakout role again until, um, I mean, man, he's in a couple. Right, right but I, I mean, like, after Married with Children, he doesn't really do anything. He's got the, uh, the Bone Collector he's in briefly. Uh, he's in a couple episodes of The West Wing, which we're fans of. TV series, TV series, TV movie, TV movie, TV series, video short. Um, he's in Wreck-It Ralph. He's the voice of Mr. Litwack, which is the the owner of the establishment. Um, and it's not till Modern Family in 2009 where he's really got the resurgence in his career. Uh, that is Rick, a great show. That is a great show. I feel like that is how he really is in real life. I feel like that is his true character. Yeah, probably. Just like the grumpy old man. Yes. Uh, Rick Moranis uh, famously... So this is 94. He goes on to do Big Bully in 96, which is a great movie. In 97, he goes on to do Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, which then becomes his last movie. Um, in 97, his wife uh, dies of breast cancer, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and he's got two kids. So he decides to step away from Hollywood, although he says he's, he never actually retired. But he steps away from Hollywood to raise his kids. Uh, during that time, he does do some voice acting. Uh, famously, he's in Brother Bear, the the movies uh, one, two, and I think there's a third one, or there was going to be a third one, where he does some voice acting during. But he has not acted since then. Recently, he came back for an episode of The Goldbergs in 2018, and he's going to be in the upcoming movie uh, currently titled Shrunk, which is a new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie so that's exciting because he's going to reprise his his role as, as wayne um but yeah pretty pretty tragic story when it comes to rick moranis great actor was in tons of 90s stuff that i think was you know he really lended some great quality roles that i think a lot of us remember from our childhood and to to walk away from hollywood like that i mean he most recently was in the mint commercial with ryan reynolds by the first time that we've seen him um in the public eye in quite a long time yeah, he looks totally different. Not in a bad way, just you could tell there's been a gap since since we've seen him on TV. And I, I was so sad to hear what you just said about the wife. That's awful. Right, because you didn't know that, right? Oh, I didn't. And that's, I mean, I I always assume, you know, you see it happens all the time. People have like their, with their songs, one hit wonders. The actors and actresses will have like their one shining moment and then you don't see them anymore. But like you said, he he encapsulated like, childhood for me like right. i think of him when i think of growing up i think of honey i shrunk the kids and little giants and then you're like well what happened like and i had no idea and i never thought to even look it up but that's that's awful but you know life comes before hollywood so good for him yeah he was asked to be in the ghostbusters um i don't want to say remake because it's supposed to be take place in the same universe but the latest one um with the the, the four women um, but he turned that down, just basically said that he couldn't, he couldn't take that role, um, because he didn't feel like the script was very good. Obviously he's in a little shop of horrors, space balls, honey, I shrunk the kids. Spaceballs was 87. Honey, I shrunk the kids was 89. I didn't realize those movies were so close together. In my mind, they're like years apart. 
didn't realize there was four of them. Honey, like I shrunk the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, I blew up the kids. Um, honey, I sh we shrunk ourselves. So there's only three. There is a honey, I shrunk the audience short that was done for like the Disney um, Universal type rides. Oh, it's not, okay. it's not an actual movie. Okay. He's Barney Rubble in the Flintstones. A lot yeah, of people, you know, forget that. The the one Parenthood. Is that the one where they're they're locked in the basement? Uh, no, that is Parent Trap. I think Parenthood has got um Steve Martin in it. Uh, no, I don't know Parenthood. Oh, I love that movie. Oh no, wait, I thought it was uh, Parent Trap. My bad. No, don't have Parent. <laughs> Parent Trap is where they get locked in the basement. No, Parent Trap doesn't even have Rick Moranis in it. Parent Trap is the twins. Yeah. Yeah. What's the movie called where they get locked in the basement? I thought that was parent trap but maybe not let me see if i can one parent trap oh well i thought that's what it was but isn't he in that movie mm -hmm. no i don't i don't believe so that's not no no not trap the basement one no oh. definitely not because that would have been uh late 90s 98 99 i think mm -hmm. so okay. um yeah so overall what did you guys think of the movie I I loved it. I think it encapsulates all of childhood moments, especially for, you know, younger kids. A little boy who doesn't feel like he's good enough can get his perspective. The tough guy like Spike, you know, needs to eat a big slice of humble pie, gets his perspective. And the same with like Becky, she gets her perspective of, you know, you can you can be both. But you're not gonna be like a junior's cup of tea, but you'll find your own junior because you're cool, girl. But everyone gets like their little their little role and they see, you know, you're still capable of doing everything you want to do, just like everyone else. And I thought it was a great concept to show kids. I like it. What about you, Jen? I second that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That's why we're friends. Yeah. You agree with I what just, I say. I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd see it my way. <laughs> So I have uh, I put together five questions that I think uh, encapsulate most movies and apply to most genres. So what I'm going to do right now is ask you guys those five questions as it pertains to 1997's Little Giants starring Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill. Uh, question number one, what aspect of the storytelling was done right and what aspect was done wrong and who do you give credit for? Credit to, I guess. So we'll start with Jen. <laughs> What aspect was done right and what was done wrong? Um, I think, I think I like that they they showed Kevin, right, the older one, yep. to be more aggressive, but they did downplay it in the sense that he wasn't a, an all around bad person. He made sure he did give good advice to his niece. It shows that he did care about her and her well being in the overall. He was just so football focused when it was football he was aggressive but even to that aspect he he did um he did yell at the dad when he told spike to try to take out one of the kids mm -hmm. so even though he was overly in, aggressive when it comes to football right. he, there's certain things he wouldn't he would not allow uh done wrong i don't know if there was anything done wrong i think the scene at, in the uh, in the stairs was a little a little murky, a little confusing, because she kind of blames the dad for all of this, like this is his thing, when in reality this whole thing started because of her. 
So, she, but I guess that's that kind of shows the inner issue she was having of I wanted to be a tomboy, but right. now I met this guy and now I don't. So rather than accept that, I'm going to blame you, and this became your thing. So that part yeah. was a little, a little murky for me, but yeah, I think they're also trying to play on the fact that you know this this started off as her thing wanting to get the own her own team, but it's evolved into this battle between the brothers and um, Danny trying to get out of Kevin's shadow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's a little, it's a little confusing there, but it's, she's not wrong. I don't think. Well, I she think... actually calls him out on it when they're on the stairs. She says, he says, you know, isn't this, this is for you. This is what you wanted. And she said, no, this isn't about football. This is about you trying to get back at uncle Kevin. Like she calls him out on it right away. Mm -hmm. So, so what about you, Dina? What do you think was done right? And what do you think was done wrong? Um, what was done right, I think I'll, just like what I said before, I think showing how each kid during childhood was, you know, a, a good opportunity to see like all the different characters you could possibly be growing up. You don't have to fit into one stereotype. Um, and I also think they did a good job of uh, Kevin's wife kind of in one, one scene, like when the, when the older brother Kevin was like, trying to talk to Becky about, you know, being the girl and, you know, junior, you're a teammate. Junior's not going to like a teammate. He's going to like the cheerleader. She says, is aunt Karen home? And he says, yeah. And she goes and talks to aunt Karen. I kind of like that. They gave someone that didn't have a mother growing up, someone else to go to and still get what, you know, someone with a growing mind and, you know, obviously going through the whole puberty thing somewhere to have their outlet. And I thought that was also important, especially if kids are watching it. Um, as far as what was wrong, I wouldn't say it was wrong, but I guess maybe I just wouldn't have picked it because I'm partial to the Icebox character. Um, they made it seem like if you are Becky and Tomboy, you're not going to get the guy you want and he's going to go for the cheerleader because they kind of insinuated that you know, because Junior's mom and Danny end up talking to each other that, yeah, she's going to be a little more involved in Junior's life, but it would be in a stepbrother, stepsister way, and it wouldn't be romantic. And I think kind of ruling it out and saying, like, you know, he's not going to go for a teammate. That's just not true because it's just not. And there's plenty of times where someone like the Icebox can get the Junior. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we'll come back to that with uh, question three. Um, so question two, what is the biggest unanswered question for you about the movie? And do you think it was done intentionally? Let's start with Nina this time. Biggest thing that was kind of unanswered. Um, hmm. I guess maybe I never really thought about that. But one thing that kind of pops in my head is the same way that Becky was portrayed as the tomboy because she didn't have a mom. I'm wondering if maybe Spike didn't have a mom because he turned into like this psycho steroid 13 year old and all about his dad. His dad was in the military, this, this, but they never show anything about the, his life and why he's like, he's a very aggressive, angry little boy. And there's gotta <laughs> be things that make you that way. So I, I always wondered why, why he was that way. Like he's the same age as all of them and just so, so angry. <laughs> so that was, that was one thing I wish maybe they would have touched on a little bit. Do you think that was done intentionally? 
not to give him a, like a backstory like that? Um, I think kind of like when you say, you know, we got can't we just got to scratch the surface. That's it. I think that's kind of like what they did. They you can only make a movie so long and keep people interested. Um, something like that, and also you know how Danny and Kevin were so different. Like you don't get to see certain things that make you wonder why they ended up the way they are, but you kind of just got to take the character for what they're presenting it to you in the movie and roll with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think it was that, um, the time thing for sure. You can only delve into so much and, and do so much character development. And he just, his character didn't warrant that. But in addition to that, I mean, think about how the, the impact that had on Becky from your point of view, it humanizes her. It humanizes Rick because you see that they're more human and they're a product of their surroundings and their environment. Whereas right. a character like Spike, you probably don't want to humanize. You want him to be the aggressive meathead and just take it for what it is. Um, so that could have had another impact as to why they didn't do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Jen, what do you think? Um, I I was a little curious as to why Danny ended up with this very rundown garage. Why why did his character have to have such a broken down backstory? I don't, it was very drastic where Danny's like rich and famous. And why, why is the mayor asking him advice? It just seems like a lot of, just a lot one way. And, and Danny got a lot of nothing. I think it kind of, for that, I think it kind of makes it seem like how they didn't have the mom and the wife was gone. You're always, portrayed that way when you're by yourself or it's just you and the kid or just you and one other person when you have a married couple they you tend to thrive and succeed and i don't know i think they kind of it shows shows the underdog poor and always the you know it always plays that way i feel like I, i agree i think one of the things i really love that this movie did is at no point in time do you get the sense that danny is sad about it like right. like you said, he has a rundown um, uh, garage, although it's on a huge plot of land and he's got multiple buildings there. So you, you got to imagine he's making some money there. Um, he's got a nice house. He's obviously taking care of his daughter and they play into the fact that the mom has left them, um, which clearly still has some impact on both of them. But he's always smiling. He's sticking up for his daughter. He's willing to go, you know, go head to head against his brother. Like you get the sense that life didn't hand him the best deck of cards, but he's still happy about it. He's still like, he has a good life and, and is happy where he is, which I thought was great. I just want to say one other thing on that in the scene where Kevin and Danny were both on their way to go get spike and go meet spike. And they had uh, Danny in the go-kart and Kevin in the nice car. That was a symbolism right there. And the go-kart won. So it doesn't matter. The poor stuff proceed. Very, very well done. Um, question number three, personal connection is important. Was there anything that happened in the movie that reminded you of a real life story that happened to you? Let's start with Jen on this one. I don't think it's a specific real life story, but I can definitely understand. I wasn't as, as, uh, tomboyish as Becky, but I can understand the whole wanting to be, get some attention and, and switch over to being more of a, cheerleader-ish type person. I didn't want to be a cheerleader, but I can understand being more girly and having that that uh, persona versus a tomboyish look. You want to be seen a little differently all of a sudden. So I can understand that transition when that happens. Okay. Uh, Nina, what about you? 
I, I'm uh, sure there's nothing about this movie that reminds you about your life at all. I don't think anyone else should have played this movie except me. So <laughs> I should have been the icebox. Um, but no, 100%. I was, my mom didn't leave me, but I was obviously 99% of my youth was attached to my father. And I grew up 100% tomboy. I would say more so than Becky. And, you know, when you finally get to the point in your life where you're starting to get interested in boys, but you're just not the cheerleader type, you go through that, you know, that scene where her and Junior were talking and she's like, oh, do you you like that? You like the cheerleader type? You like the pretty girls? And he doesn't want to come out and say, yeah, because he knows it'll hurt her feelings. And that's kind of like what my whole life was. I would be interested in a guy and I wasn't the pretty girl yet. I was still covered in mud with holes in my clothes. And, you know, they they shut you down in the nicest way possible. But uh, I think I think that was a huge portion of my life being the the tomboy that never really quite made it to the girly stage. And we're all still waiting for that. I know you'll keep waiting too. Uh, <laughs> if you have any trouble about it, I'm going to whoop you. <laughs> uh, question number four. What is the most important sequence in the movie? Nina, we'll start with you most important sequence in the movie uh be more specific what are you what are you looking for so it's actually funny you ask that because most people don't ask a follow-up question and typically the answers i get are either what you think the best scene in the movie is or the scene that you think that you think has the biggest impact on the movie's plot wow um I would say, I would say both are the, almost the same for me. The scene where she decides I don't want to be, you know, I want to be the cheerleader this time. And that pivotal moment where she's like, you know what, time to take care of business, time to whatever. I think that switched everybody's minds. I think it threw everybody off, not just her teammates. They were like, oh, wow, Becky's back. And then Spike crapped his, or yeah, Spike craps his pants. Everyone craps their pants because the good player's back. The brothers are even like, oh yeah, Becky's back. And Uncle Kevin got a little nervous. I feel like that moment, everyone's mind shifted at some point for some reason because of that action. And it it shows that the underdog was coming out on top. And it was, I feel like that was the moment that I was waiting for the entire movie. And when it came, I was like, fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> you literally just stood up and said fireworks out loud. Well, <laughs> I remember you saying it earlier when you could see the skirt under her football uniform with her helmet. I was just like, go girl. And I love <laughs> Jen, what about you? Uh, I think there's a couple. I think when, when Danny stands up to Kevin finally and says, no, I don't see it your way. These kids can do it and I'm going to do it. And that's that. I agree with that. Then I think to go along with what you were saying, the, when she sees junior for the first time and she's like, why do I care about this kid? (laughs) And that, that kind of trigger happens to her where she's like, wait a minute, I guess I do kind of like boys. I don't like boys. Yeah. And then at the end when she decides, well, I can do both. I still like football. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not this person anymore. So. So it's funny because so two out of the three scenes you picked and the scene that Nina picked um, both revolve around Becky. Do you think her storyline is the central point of this movie? 
I don't think it's the, I don't think it was supposed to be, but I think for the viewers, it ends up being that. Yeah. Because in the, in the midst of it, you lose track, especially when the actual game is happening, you lose track of the brothers are the real reason this is happening, not Becky. But, you know, I think, I think while you're watching it, Becky, by far, this whole movie for me revolved around her. See, I think they did that on purpose. I think they would have just kept going status quo of Kevin's the better one. Danny does this, his job, they have their roles and that's it. But when she decided, no, we can do this too. Right. That's when they just, Danny finally perked up and was like, yeah, I can stand up to my brother and do all these things. So I think, I think it is her. She's the driving. This director did a great job. I just want to say, (laughs) I'm just, now that we're talking about it, I'm just like, this couldn't have been plotted out better. (laughs) So that it's it's funny because that leads into the next question. Um, if you could recast two roles in this film, what roles would they be and who would you recast in them and why? So we'll start with Jen this time. I, oh, I don't. I wouldn't have recasted anybody. Perfect. Perfect way is. I don't know. Um, I It's hard to say because right now I'm not thinking of children actors. I'm thinking of adults. So, but I, if I had to like pick somebody that would be a, a girl version of the icebox now, I would pick somebody like, um, what's that? I want to say she's Puerto Rican. Uh, dang. She always plays like the tough chick in the movies. I want to say her last name's Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez? Yes, her. I feel like she would be a phenomenal icebox because she's very pretty, but you definitely don't feel the delicate nature about her um i would want to say i'd want to pick someone else for junior because i just don't get that whimsical feeling that my (laughs) my partner over here gets but um mark Wahlberg, maybe (laughs) your legendary obsession with mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg, if you listen to this podcast i love you (laughs) um great good i i appreciate you answering my um ridiculous questions uh i do have another segment we like to do called guess that tomato for those of you not aware rotten tomatoes uh rates movies based on audience score and critic score and one of the things i love to do is have my guest guest guess the audience score for the movies that we have been talking about so for this one it's 1994's little giants starring rick moranis and ed o'neill and i'm going to have you guys guess the audience score one to a hundred on rotten tomatoes for this movie so we'll start with Nina. One out of a hundred, one being crappy? Correct. Um, how many people are we talking about? Like this movie, I can tell you right now, has fifty-nine thousand three hundred and eighty-nine votes. I'm gonna guess because I have a particular attachment that it's not gonna be as high as I would give it. So I would say maybe one out of a hundred, I would say. We'll go with the classic sixty-nine. Mm, good, good guess. Uh, Jen, what do you guess? I'm gonna say seventy-five. Seventy-five. Okay. Now, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you guys the critic score, which will help you. Ed, not at all, because as we've <laughs> learned previously on this podcast, the critic score tends to be no relation whatsoever to the audience score. Uh, the critic score for this movie is a 36. Oh, shut it down. Garbage. I'm, 
I'm also going to give you three other movies that are within 2% of this movie. So the three movies I'm about to name are plus or minus 2% of this movie's score. Which score? Uh, the critic or the... The audience score. Okay. Um, movie number one, Sonic the Hedgehog, 2020's Sonic oh the Hedgehog. Oh, my God. Movie number two... Um, Justin Bieber's Never Say Never. I'm leaving. Oh no, this is, is not right. Definitely one of Nina's favorites. Came out Garbage trash. He's just and like movie number three, The Hobbit, the An Unexpected Journey. That's a good I'm one. sure both of you have seen. I have, and that's a good one. Nice. So now I'm going to give you a chance. Do either one of you want to change your score? Nina, you had 69. Do you want to leave it or change it? This is horrible. No, I'm going to lower it. This is awful, though, because it's not that low. But I'm going to go like 43. Jesus. Ooh. Okay, Nina's new score is 43. Jen, do you want to change yours? You no, had 75. Nope, keep it. Keeping it as is. I think the, there's more reviews out there. The audience score for Little Giants is a 63%. I should have kept it. Wow. I should have kept it. Jen, you were closer. Um, I, I was surprised it was that low. I mean, I, I would think at least from the cult following, this movie would have been in the 70s, if not 80s. I'm surprised that the critics gave it a 30-whatever. Like, are you... 36, yeah. I, I feel like... But I also feel like all the critics are old as dirt and don't care about anything unless it's an old war movie. Like, you need to get update your, your uh, staff. So Ro Roger Ebert said in uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, working in two platoons, the four screenwriters have successfully removed all vestiges of originality from the story and turned a perfectly good honed of every other movie about how a team of losers wins the big game. So I guess his issue is that it wasn't original enough. He's a team of losers. I don't like this. This is not accurate. Yeah, Fred. Yeah, Fred was filled with it. Fred Topple of About.com said, "Unoriginal kids sports movie. Been oh. there, done that. This is no Mighty Ducks." Oh, wow. Uh, I think this movie whoops the Mighty Ducks by far. Yeah. Like a a weak bad news bears style ripoff. Totally unoriginal. So yeah, I mean, it looks like that was the biggest complaint. The movie was just unoriginal. Mm. Well, was Mighty Ducks 2 any better? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we, we can't, you can't really argue with that. We've talked many times during this show how it was kind of a, a stereotypical um, losers versus the all-star team. But I mean, I, I liked the interesting spins on it. I liked that it was kind of family friendly. Um, I liked the battle between the brothers. To, for me, to, to have an actor's have two actors or even the writing crew be able to write dialogue and perform dialogue that simultaneously shows you a conflict between these two brothers while also still keeping the love and, and family aspect, I think is very hard to do. And I think they, they pulled that off and that to me gives this movie a little more originality than apparently some of the other reviewers saw. I agree. And I also think, uh, I think that, even though it might have had the same concept as several other uh, losers versus winners movie, I feel like this one kept my interest far more, not just because of the whole Becky similarity thing, but 
I just feel like it kept the adults interested. It kept the, keeps the kids interested. And it just had full action the whole time. There was no dead points. And I loved it. Uh, so one last thing before we sign off, guys. It's a firm uh, belief of the owners that don't forget a towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it might not be movies and comic books, it might be gardening and, and playing football in your <laughs> cheerleader outfit. Uh, so I've got to ask you guys before we sign off, what is it you're geeking out on right now? Let's start with Jen. Right now, I have become obsessed with the garden. I want to grow everything and anything that I can in that garden. Including money. And <laughs> uh, that's that's about it. I'm, I guess I'm trying to read more of the comic books, but I'm still trying to find my space. I don't know which ones I want to look at. <laughs> Good for you. That's that's awesome. I know you're looking into Wonder Woman and you found a Back to the Future comic book, which I thought was kind of cool. I've never seen those before. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going to head towards the Back to the Future ones. Good girl. Nice. Uh, Nina, what about you? What are you geeking out on? Um, I will forever be geeking out on my dog. I love Doc with a passion. Always will. Um, and he's got a new trainer now. So I'm all about improving him and spending time with him. And uh, he's just the best. He is just the best. <laughs> That's great. Well, I appreciate you guys doing this. Um, thank you for your time. Any any last comments before we sign off? I had a fabulous time. Thank you for having me. I loved this. This was great. Same. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks, guys. Bye. I need you to match Nina's volume. Uh, I'll be quiet. No, no, no. I need her to talk louder. I talk plenty loud. Maybe we should move the microphone closer to her. My voice carries very well. So you move it further away. Okay. So oh my gosh. Is this going to be the beginning part? What beginning part? Don't lie. <laughs> what are you Girl, talking about? Closer. He's lying. There you go.